Welcome back. I'm so excited to bring you a very special episode of The Emily Show today with my guest, James Egan, Gwyneth Paltrow's attorney. Before I tell you more about that, a huge thank you to Green Chef. In honor of Earth Month, Green Chef is offering new limited time only recipes made with sustainable, earth friendly ingredients all April long. Get 60% off plus free shipping with code EMILYBAKER60 at greenchef.com slash EMILYBAKER60. Today's episode is a conversation with James Egan. We talk about the case a little bit. We talk about his music. We talk about his journey into his field of practice now and get to know him a bit better. If you want to know how James Egan used to get out of his piano lessons, you're going to have to listen to this interview. I hope you enjoy it, Law Nerds, and thank you to all of the members that submitted questions for James. I got a lot of them in and asked a lot about the topics, including what he thought of being called Clark Kent. So thank you for joining me for today's episode. I can't wait to know what you think in the comments. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm Emily D. Baker, the internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the cursey words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. Law nerds. Today, we have a rare interview. You know I don't do them very often, but I had to ask for an interview with the one, the only, James Egan, who is joining me today to talk about all things life and law. So a huge welcome to the podcast, James. I know you haven't done a ton of interviews since this trial, probably because you jumped immediately back into work. How's that been? Uh, That is true. It it was, you know, as usual with a trial, you, you sort of put everything else aside and you focus on one case and then all the other cases just, you know, um, build up in your office. And uh, when you get back, they're all there to fight you again. (laughs) Um, We also know that you have a little one too. So you had mentioned that you have, I believe, a one-year-old. So not only does kind of life get put on hold at work, but with family too, it's trying to get back into it and catch up. And at that age, they grow really fast. And so it, after two weeks of trial, it's like, I just need some time at home with my family. Yeah, no, that was very needed. And um, his birthday happened right in the middle of trial. And so uh, that it was, and he also started walking. He had, he had just started walking just before trial, just a little bit, but he, you know, obviously uh, we learned a few more steps and I, I wanted to get home, see that. And it was really nice to just, you know, have a, take a couple of days off. Uh, on that that weekend and just be with family and in fact i i have his uh this is where we change his diapers in case you want oh, to know <laughs> just to just to prove <laughs> that i've done it <laughs> it's hard at that age um because it does change so fast and when you're working a lot when my kids were young i was in trial quite a lot and i was in trial while pregnant um with both of my kids and it is such a different drain when you're also, um, you also kids and kids up at night and then you're in trial and the next day and you don't sleep a lot when you're in trial anyway. And then you have the added pressure, of course, of knowing that the world is watching, but also that your family could watch this trial because it's live streaming. I think that would make me more nervous, maybe knowing that my family <laughs> would watch it. Like people that know me are watching more than the rest of the internet. Yeah. What's your family watching uh, trial? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that they caught everything, but yes, they, they watched, and it was uh, unlike other trials. Like we got to actually kind of talk about it afterwards, um, which, which made it, you know, um, interesting. They definitely were interested in law, and you know, why, why did this happen, or why did that happen, and um, maybe, you know, they were more interested than when I tried to tell them about other trials. Like there's this interesting <laughs> thing that happened, and I'm, you know, going on, and they probably don't care. But um, anyway, so that was kind of fun to share that with them. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean, because there were times when I was in trial and we, um, before we moved out of Southern California, we would go over to dinner every week at my parents' house with the kids. And if I would start to talk about the trial I was in, I'm like, no, actually, it's really fascinating that you could see people's eyes gloss over. And I'm like, no, I swear it's actually I swear really it's interesting. interesting. Right. <laughs> I yes. swear it's really interesting. And then the judge did this and then defense counsel did that. And Cases are unpredictable, but again, trying to get someone else to buy in 
can be a little bit difficult. And normally you go through those experiences often by yourself or maybe with a co-counsel um, and nobody else. And this time you actually could look around and be like, no, did you see that? Right, <laughs> right. Weird thing today. Yeah. Did you have family members come to court for this case as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just um, towards the end, my my mom came for closing and then my, my wife was there uh, one, one that day too, I think, and the day before maybe. It's all kind of a blur, honestly. <laughs> I'm sure by the time you get to closing argument, yeah. it, it often is. Because my parents, before I left the district attorney's office, my parents were like, oh, we'll come watch a trial. But, you know, you're often downtown and we have to drive all the way downtown. And then by the time I ended up leaving um, after having some health issues, my parents were like, we never got to see you in trial. I'm like, I kept telling you when I was in trial, like, this is what I do all day. <laughs> well, I love that your family had that opportunity especially when they see you go through law school, go through undergrad, go through studying for the bar exam. There's so many milestones to become an attorney that's actually practicing in court. It's, I think it's really incredible to get to share that with them. And I'm really glad that they were there for that because it's kind yeah. of a unique. One thing that's interesting about too, and I, I should, I'm just remembering my mother-in-law also came. I should, you know, uh, exclude, oh, I should not exclude her. Never. And nope. And my my wife's best friend, and then a friend from law school came, and um, I think um, what I was going to say is that it it is kind of funny how um, the response often maybe from people that have texted me or I've seen since that that know me, um, they might say, "Oh, that's interesting what you do," but most of what I do is not in trial, right? I mean, um, it's it's mostly the preparation, it's, it's depositions, it's, you know, reading tons of records, and um, I mean, you know all this, but but um, they kind of have this sense, like, oh, I'm watching what he does every day. Like, this is not what I do every day, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I think it's not just your friends, it's also the wider internet that's like, yeah. oh, this is what you do every day, but you traditionally do medical malpractice defense work so when you're talking about reading records, you're talking about voluminous, oftentimes medical records and really understanding medical. How did you get into um, med mal defense? Is that, was that the planned goal or is that one of these, it happens when it happens? Right. Yeah. So it was not the, the plan though, it, you know, once it happened, it sort of made sense because um, I've always been interested in medicine, partly because my dad is a physician. And so, uh, so is my brother. He's uh, an uh, MD, but he's in a residency now. And I joke that they like my job even more than I do because I can, you know, it gives them an, ex you know, it's a way we can connect, right? They can teach me more about yeah. medicine. We talk about medicine. And I really like that about my job. Um, but I initially went to law school because I, I, I liked reading and writing and I, I like questions of, you know, sort of. Um, policy and um, you know moral philosophy and these various things come together all in in the law um, and I figured there's some way I can make use of that um, uh, interest in in the law um, you know there's a lot of opportunity I don't necessarily need to be a litigator and I didn't plan to be a litigator um, but um, and and I didn't actually start in medical malpractice I started um, in uh, a, a fellowship where my law school paid me to work with the regional innocence project here. It's called the Rocky Mountain Innocence Center. So they do, you know, work on potentially wrongful convictions. And uh, I did that for a year and a half. Um, I was thinking maybe I'd, I'd try to clerk after that. And I had a few clerkship interviews that I considered. And um, I even did some interviews to stay in that particular work, that innocence work, but there's not a ton of jobs. And um, yeah, there's I not a ton of funding, which is which is a problem. So for everyone who's listening and they're like, why aren't there a ton of jobs in this? This becomes a massive funding issue. But that those go into the policy considerations because right. it's it's very um, intense amounts of reading of record reading uh, yes. needed work, but but difficult. very difficult work. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that most of these projects are set up is that you have uh, a law school that has some students that can help investigate the cases and get credit for doing that. And then you have a few staff attorneys that are paid. Um, and then once the case is investigated and it's to a place where it can be um, brought to court, there's usually civil litigators that are, are asked to do this pro bono, you know, a big firm where people want to kind of vary their practice and maybe do something a, a little more um, 
just a little different, or maybe it's, you know, they've, they're drawn to it for the, the, you know, the, um, the, the meaningful aspect of that kind of work, um, then they, they do it pro bono. So they're really, really the only ones that are paid are uh, those staff attorneys that aren't, aren't a ton of those positions. I hadn't done a, you know, a bunch of criminal defense for a long time. Um, so while I was getting interviews, my, my sense was, okay, maybe this isn't the time to, to do this. If I want to do it, maybe I do a clerkship that didn't, um, feel r- exactly right to me. Um, and what ended up happening is I, I had done very briefly, it was very short. It was like, I think I was only maybe 10, 15 weeks of a, uh, sort of part-time internship, uh, clerkship at the firm that I'm at now. Um, okay. just because I figured, look, maybe I litigate. And if I have to litigate, uh, if that's what ends up happening, then I want to do it in something I'm interested in. So let's do, you know, something in medicine. And, and it just so happened that, um, Steve Owens, who is, you know, my partner now and who, who obviously you saw at the trial, he happened to call me during, during the time I was looking for, uh, what the next thing would be. Um, I think he had, um, heard that I was, I was looking and he said, Hey, we, we actually need an attorney. And so when I, I, I figured, okay, let's, let's see what this is like. Let's do it for right. a little bit. And, um, I've enjoyed, um, uh, mainly, like I said, the medicine, just learning about, I, I, a lot of my job is, is learning about how doctors and nurses and all sorts of medical providers do their work, um, meeting with them, meeting with experts about that. That's what I like the most. And it makes sense that you're in a medical family. So you get to be kind of medical adjacent without doing medicine. Before I went to law school, I was work, I had worked as an EMT and realized very quickly that dealing with, with uh, people and bodies and blood and fluid <laughs> was absolutely not for me. So I am medically fascinated. My husband is um, a, de- a dentist, a dental specialist, and is now teaching at a dental school. So I, I completely understood because when he was doing some expert work, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. You know, how, what, what the attorneys are asking about and what the kind of cases are that they're using this type of a particular dental specialist. <laughs> Your work really introduced us to a lot of different specialists that I didn't even know existed, um, which was really fascinating. In kind of your broader work, how do you go about finding experts like that? Which was one of the questions I got asked a lot by my audiences when they were doing it. And I've done woefully little civil work. I worked as a research attorney before being a district attorney um, for judges. So trying to find experts that know the nuance of how a ski buckle releases or the velocity at which a head trauma might occur is not my wheelhouse at all. So kind of in a broader sense, not necessarily for this trial, but how do you find experts in such diverse fields and such specific fields of medicine? Yeah, that um, I think it, it helps that we're a firm that's been around for a while and done just this work. So with the firm's been uh, in existence right, almost 30 years now. I've been there for eight. And um, the fact that we kind of have uh, um, connections with various experts that we've used over the years obviously really helps because often we, we sort of know who to go to um, for cases that we um, we get a lot. We, you know, um, if we're doing an ER case, we kind of know the people we, we call for that. Or if it's an orthopedic case, we, we have a, a set of people. And if maybe they wouldn't work for that case, they wouldn't know somebody. Um, when it, you know, when it's a little more difficult, um, then, I mean, it's nice to have my dad as a connection. Honestly, he's, 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 he's been here. He's at the university of Utah and he has been there for a long time. And, um, so he has various connections and can help me think through things, our, our clients, sometimes uh, our physician clients or nurse, you know, various medical providers that we represent, they may have a thought, Hey, you can try this person. Um, and occasionally we, we just do our own research. Um, and I have had experiences in cases where I just happen to do my own research, find this person. Uh, you know, I look for things people have published and try to get us, you know, super duper specialist in something and you cold call them and they say, sure, you know, uh, sometimes that happens. There are also um, various um, businesses that try to sort of, they'll, they'll advertise for these experts that, that um, you know, um, 
say they want to do this type of expert work. And occasionally we'll use those. We don't use those that often, but occasionally there's like kind of directory, you know, and, and um, you can call those. Which is helpful. I've, um, <laughs> since I've left the DA's office, I've had the opportunity to go to some of the um, like conferences to do CLEs because they have them in fun locations and they do all your CLEs at once. So it's interesting seeing all the booths of stuff that I will never use for like accident reconstruction right, and right. things. And so I imagine that there's probably those types of things for experts because they've got all the like the mediators um, right. that are advertising right. as well. That kind of stuff. I go because all the lawyers who, well, a lot of the lawyers who handle the types of cases I cover are there. And so it's nice getting to put a face to a name when I'm now looking at a case that I'm covering um, to be able to look at the firm and be like, oh, I know these attorneys at this firm. I know the way that they do their work. I know kind of their philosophy on taking a case. So it's interesting to have that background on the attorneys before I'm covering a case. And if they send me the documents and I don't have to pay for them, in California, that's a huge deal because <laughs> right. it's like a four-page document and they're like, that'll be seven fifty. dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is funny. I mean, occasionally we use attorneys actually. Now I, I'm just, as you're talking about attorneys offices, we'll know, hey, this this firm does this type of work and they may know some experts or we have a lot of you know colleagues in the medical malpractice defense world here that we're on cases with. And so we'll let's kind of shoot out an email to everybody and say, if you had, you know, uh, need of this type of expert, you have any recommendations that can be really helpful too. Lawyers love a list serve. We really do. We love a good, a good list serve and word of mouth helps because if somebody's done depositions or what have you, you kind of know how an expert is going to perform. We've seen some experts that maybe were not well vetted in some other cases that I've covered that have been very televised with some very odd and unique expert testimony. So mm -hmm. having a well-vetted expert, I think especially if they're going to be in a televised trial becomes a whole nother quirk because you let them know there's going to be publicity and they would have to be yes. willing to not just take the case, but also willing to take the case plus potentially the publicity. Right. And you never know where that publicity is going to go for good yeah. or for bad. Right. Going into yeah. And it's such a different um, sort of thing to get you know, pestered with questions on the stand under oath, or even in a deposition, forget trial, it can be such a, a new experience if you haven't done that before. And so, you know, it's important for experts to know that that's what they're in for. And it's really nice if they have experience doing it, because it's not just like, hey, I'm calling you up for an opinion. Can you just I'll, I'll give you some facts? Can you just kind of shoot me? some of your thoughts, you know, it's, it's uh, not even close uh, to that easy um, for, for experts. They, they really have to know their stuff and be prepared and be willing to, you know, um, be assertive about um, their opinion and evince confidence and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's good to have, it's good to have a vetted, like to other people saying, Hey, they, they perform well, they know how to do this and they don't buckle under pressure and, and there's, they do thorough review. They know the records, that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's definitely a temperament for cross-examination because there are some experts who do not like being questioned on their assertions. And that doesn't always come across well right. on cross-examination when they're, they have so much experience in their field. And then some lawyer is going to ask them a bunch of questions and try to poke holes in it and they get real mad. Um, and it was nice to see yes. the experts in this case. I thought they were all um, really fascinating, just really interesting areas that, um, of all different kinds of like medical science that we don't normally hear about. But if we keep talking about experts, it's going to feel like an ad for experts. Yeah. And I don't want to do that because <laughs> the thing that I asked the most about, which you will probably know, is about your music career. The internet found that swiftly. The internet finds everything swiftly. If you need to crowdsource information, have something televised on the internet, and they will they will find it swiftly. But found your music. Did you even think going into this case that people would be looking into you in that way and finding your music. No, no, I, I did not think that anybody would listen to my music because of this case. Um, but I honestly, other than the verdict, which was the most important thing and, um, uh, um, you know, fulfilling to, you know, we, we, we won and we wanted to win obviously. And I, uh, um, other than that, I think the fact that people are listening to my music is kind of this, this extra, the best thing, the kind of surprise thing that I would never would have expected to to come out of this, and it's because I I mean when you say music career, that's kind of funny because I I don't think of it as a career. I think <laughs> of it as a hobby, um, but it is really meaningful. 
um, for me, I really, you know, put a lot of um, time and effort into to that. And um, obviously not everyone's going to like music uh, um, in the same ways, but some some people really find my music meaningful and it resonates with them. They like it. I, I, you know, I, I love that. And um, it was hilarious to look at my, I don't know if you know, but this, there's an app where, you know, you can do it online for artists that are on Spotify or Apple or wherever that, you know, uh, you can look up your stats, right. Um, for I do this for my podcast regularly. Okay. okay yes. <laughs> I, yeah. Of course you would know this, right. But I don't have music. So I don't, you know, I am one of the few YouTubers I think that does not have any musical aspiration or career, but yes, I'm, I'm very familiar with checking my analytics. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I, I was, I was curious after that, during the, during the case, it was sort of, you know, you're, you're all in it and you, you're just thinking about the case. But after I, I looked at those and it, you know, I didn't have very many listeners before. It's probably like my mom and my cousin and you know, like, who, knows, who knows what else. I, I've done some shows and things around, but not, not since I really started practicing law in earnest. And um, so it was just this hilarious surprise when I, I think it was like streams are up 300,000% because they were like at 11, you know, or so whatever. 300,000% was fantastic. You were just like, these are ridiculous numbers. Yeah. I love it. Life can be incredibly unexpected, which is why we do our best to prepare. And you know that I like things that make that simple. With today's sponsor, Policy Genius, they are modernizing the life insurance industry so your family can be protected, you can have a peace of mind, and it's easy to do. These are my biggest takeaways easy to do. Policy Genius will make sure you get the coverage that is right for you at the best price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $25 per month for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius doesn't work for the insurance companies. Policy Genius have licensed agents to find the best policy for you, and they can place you with all kinds of insurance from America's top insurers, but they don't work for the insurance companies. There are no added fees, your personal details are private, and it's no wonder that they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net and you deserve a smarter way to find it. Go find out how much you can save today at policygenius.com slash or click the link in the description to get a free life insurance quote at policygenius.com slash Let's get back into today's episode. I saw it day over day because when I was streaming the trial, I was streaming to about 50,000 people on and off, um, concurrent all day, every day. So I got to see in real time, people not just talking about the case, but talking about the lawyers. I got to see opinions change, which is the best part for me is to watch real time when people come into the case and you can see the case get made one way or the other based on how people are talking about it. So it's real interesting to watch the, the community's opinions change and their mindset about your client change, their mindset about the plaintiff change, what evidence helped, what evidence didn't help. Um, it was really interesting to see that, but it was maybe day three of trial that I started saying, wait, James has music. Did you know James has music? Because my entire audience calls you by your first name. I hope you don't mind. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I'm friendly. I'm, I'm good with it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, called, so it, we called you by your first name the, in, the entire trial. Um, and so they're like, James has music because really from the beginning, when you would question experts and what have you, your questioning was so clear and concise. There was a lot of like, oh, this is just, we're going to be able to follow what these doctors are saying. Not everyone who questions experts has such a concise way to do it that just kind of leads the witness through to let them explain really the story. So it became kind of a breath of fresh air at times. And you didn't have an outrageous cough the entire trial. So that was really helpful as well. That's grateful for that. You didn't get sick. Are you the only one that didn't get sick um, of your legal teams? I don't, it seemed like maybe. No, I don't. I don't. I think I only think a few people got sick. I don't remember. It seemed like the yeah. entire courtroom had the plague. Uh-huh. <laughs> we, heard, we heard the coughing and then we saw Owens get sick midway through. And you yes, kind of, definitely remember that. You could see it on his face day by day as people are like, he's getting paler. I'm like, I think, I think so. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, it was not the best weather. Uh, I, you know, that that may have, uh, you know, played a role. I don't know. It was definitely cold. I don't know how many of your listeners have been to Park City, Utah, but it is um, especially cold uh, during the winter at times. And this winter in particular was an especially cold winter and a kind of long winter. Um, lots of snow, I think record breaking snow levels um, for the full for the full winter. And usually by the end of March, you're not having these huge, crazy storms. So that was kind of a surprise. And you had one right smack during trial. Um, And we heard the judge talk about it on the record and people running late. It seemed like your jury was pretty on time given how much weather there was. But we even heard some of the attorneys commenting on having to commute in and out of court. Were you commuting up and forth to Park City or did you stay up closer to court for the duration of the trial? Uh, I, I, I stayed up in Park City. So, and that, that's gotta be weird too, being away from home in, you know, hotels and stuff again, as a criminal attorney, if I have to commute, it's just to another courthouse in my County and there's no way they're paying for you to stay anywhere. Um, but having to stay closer to trial, cause you can't really lose the trial work time to drive back. Yes. And we've had other cases that, um, trials been during the winter and it's, you know, there's a lot of snow and, um, one was in Provo. I live in Salt Lake City, so it's an hour south of here. And we decided um, to to stay down there because if, if you have to, you know, drive two hours to get there, um, and either maybe you're late or maybe it's driving home that's the problem. You just lose a ton of time, and times at a it's a really precious commodity during trial. So anyway, that's why we we try to do that when we can, which makes complete sense because when you say time is a commodity during trial i i know that the lawyers in the audience will know but others might not how much work is still going on while trial is going on so you are often still working on things there were motions brought during this trial um you're working on jury instructions you're working on witnesses you're working on the timing of witnesses and then you're working on travel for witnesses which both sides had to deal with in this trial so i i can understand that that much of a drive I'm not well familiar with the layout of Utah. I have been to Park City as a kid, and I spend a lot of time talking about the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City <laughs> in my content. So it feels like I spend a lot of time in, oh, and the Cookie Wars. The Utah Cookie Wars have been uh, very, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I, when I, I don't it. know. I don't know. I, I cannot be at all useful in either of those <laughs> conversations. I apologize. <laughs> not your thing, but the um, there are some ongoing trademark disputes between crumble cookies and a few other cookies. Oh, I have heard of that. I have heard of that. Yeah. And there is a kind of cookie craze. Yeah. Yep. So I've, I've covered some of the uh, trademark quirks of a, of a cookie war. And then one of the real housewives of Salt Lake city got indicted and then subsequently pled and got sent to prison for a really interesting wire fraud case. I talk a lot about pop culture. It was like music is your hobby. I think reality television throughout law school and then even before law school was my hobby. Um, when did you start with music? Was it pre before law school and carried throughout law school? Yeah. So I, I started playing music as a young kid, but I like a lot of people, maybe people uh, in your audience can um, you know sympathize with me here. I hated piano lessons when I was a kid, really <laughs> hated them. In fact, the story I always tell um, is that I um, was this mischievous kid to get out of them by recording my dad had bought this little um recording device that had floppy disks it was that long ago I know exactly what you mean no yeah. I, i'm well familiar with a floppy disk <laughs> yes yeah, so it was like floppy disk little midi device and i could play and loop it right so i would play whatever my song <laughs> that i was assigned to play was and i would loop it for a while go to my room and play then i'd come back and then I'd make a different mistake or something, you know, and then loop that. I was like, my mom is probably not listening that carefully, but I was, I was thinking I'm not going to get caught after, I don't know how long, but I, I say months, I don't, who knows what it really was, but um, my mom walked in, saw this empty piano and it was playing. And then, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was found out. And so then, um, you know, I would, I would fight her about it. Eventually, I don't know exactly what age, you know, early teens, I started realizing that I could play songs that I, that I liked, or I, I could try to figure them out. 
had a cousin that was playing a Ben Folds Five song at a party, uh, just on the side, just a family party. And I don't know if you know Ben Folds Five, but I really liked them. Yeah. And so I thought, wait, you can play. You don't have well, to. You can play music. I like. You don't have to play like yeah. hot cross buns. What is <laughs> <Yeah>. happening? <laughs> right, right, right. So, so, and then I discovered in starting to do that that I had a little bit of an ear for it. Um, and um, so then I, I started playing a little more, started writing songs. They, I'm so glad those were never recorded because, you know, the, the early teenage songs were pretty bad. Well, it's kind of like a diary at that age. You never want to expose yes, that. Yes, exactly. Right. You don't realize, you know, don't try to reveal this in a song. Um, and you're just kind of parroting, you know, you know, or parroting, you know, the people you like, you, you know, so you're just sort of like taking the same chords in a song you like and changing them a little bit and kind of just say similar things. And so anyway, eventually I um, felt like, you know, I let's record some of these. I bought this little recording device from my uncle, started recording by myself. And the first time I actually recorded a, a fairly professional album was sort of towards the end of high school. Um, that one is not on Spotify, but then I did one in college. That one is on Spotify. Um, and strangely, during the case, the, the one song that really got interest initially, there was some article that that kind of mentioned it in particular, um, was this song called Worth Waiting For, which I, I wrote when I was like 15. Um, I, I, again, I it could be 16, 14. I really have no recollection. We're not, we're not, we're not under oath. We're not holding you to but it. Yes, but it was some yeah. early it was some early song that I wrote. Yeah. Um but I decided to record it again as a college student. And it's just hilarious that, you know, somehow that was the song. I, I that, that part of me that's like, no, I've written much better stuff. You know, come on. Like, why couldn't you've chosen one of my better, you know, more recent songs? Yeah. But, but then I guess the, the more recent recording was kind of the most interesting as it connects to law practice. Um, it's definitely not about my job as a lawyer. Uh, that would make for pretty bad songs, but, <laughs> but um it relates back to that section of our uh, conversation earlier where I was talking about how um, I was trying to figure out what to do after that innocence center yeah. um, job that I had. And I had a bunch of songs that I'd written over a, while, a pretty long period of time. And I had always wanted to, you know, record them really professionally. The one I did in college was with a, a, a friend of mine at his kind of home studio and he was kind of learning the ropes of recording. So, you know, it's kind of lower quality. Um, but I wanted to do, you know, full on studio and even maybe do a, a, some orchestra arrangements and stuff. And so honestly, part of the reason that I took the job I did is I thought, look, I, I can make a little more money and I can pay for doing this. Um, I wasn't thinking I would eventually try to, you know, make it as a musician or something, but I just wanted to do that. That was a thing I had always wanted to do. And this would kind of help. And, um, I did a little GoFundMe thing too, and we got some money and, um, we're able to do that. And a really good friend of mine, who's a film score composer who I would never in a million years have been able to work with. Um, if he wasn't my really good friend, uh, helped me, you know, arrange the, um, all the orchestration on that most recent yeah. album. And we were able to do this, you know, big 29 piece orchestra thing in a studio that would have been hard to do if I, you know, wasn't making a little more, I, you know, I made very, very small um, stipend for the innocent center work. So, so it was, it was a very big, it was a very big income change. So that was, a that was, and that really, yeah, that really helped me to um, deal with the, the way um, that early walk practice is kind of difficult. Like I had this other thing that I could, I could do as I, you know, settled into doing this new thing that, that took a, you know, was challenging to me. I've met a tremendous amount of attorneys that are musically inclined that have bands that play guitar. Um, we watched the Murdoch trial in South Carolina. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, but one of the lead prosecutors, it was, it was supposed to be a three week trial. It was a six week trial televised um the defendant was a lawyer in south carolina who was convicted of murdering his wife and son and there's a hundred other indictments for financial crimes and stealing from clients and like everything you can imagine it's a wild case but the lead prosecutor also has a band and so oh, huh. after the case the head ag came back to 
Twitter and hadn't been on social media and was like, well, if there's all this interest in me, this is my band. And I was like, get it, Creighton Waters. Go ahead. <laughs> so it's not really that uncommon to see lawyers who are um, musical. And then athletic is the one other thing I see. A lot of people who are who are runners, who play softball in their spare time. I think you have to have a hobby. Yeah. 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 It really helps to, as I was um, kind of making peace with, okay, I think litigation is kind of where things are going. And it, there were a lot of other things that I, I could have done that I uh, or at least tried to do that I had, had uh, dreamed about when I was younger. Like I was really, I'm really into literature and intellectual history. And I thought, okay, maybe academics could be the thing. And I even had thought during law school, maybe I'd go do a PhD and then go that way. Um, uh, I have lived in India before for a while and I really love India. And so I thought, okay, maybe I could do something with India. And in law school, I actually um, went out to India and worked with a company that's um, uh, uh, it's called an LPO. Maybe people maybe have heard about BPOs, which are the business process outsourcing, mm-hmm. call centers, that sort of thing. But there are legal process outsourcing um, oh, no uh, businesses in India w- that employ Indian attorneys to uh, do like big document review projects or even the back end of legal research stuff. They'll you know t- uh, kind of organize cases and tag cases, kind of like the for those for those of uh, the audience that would know the kind of key site type summaries uh-huh. and that kind of thing, and so because I was interested in working with India or maybe in India somehow, I went out there and worked with a company um, to you know learning what they did and in tr- kind of training in some ways the the Indian attorneys about things that um, happen here in law in the U.S. And so there were a lot of different things I considered, um, but when I finally went into litigation and had to kind of make peace with the fact that those those paths were you know now kind of closed it did well for, for now james for, yeah, now. for, now, for you're, now yeah you're, that's you're true very young. you're making me feel very old <laughs> for now. i didn't think my career over 10 years in would shift into doing legal commentary it's it's a long career right you've got a long no way that's to go. true i appreciate that you know who knows but at, le- at least as it felt like, okay, we're kind of closing that door, it really helped me to, and this is probably true in other jobs, it really helped me to have things that that kept those uh, passions st- still sort of alive, you know. Um, and in my music, I it's connected to a lot of my reading that that kind of scratched that intellectualist itch. And there's other ways that I, I found uh, to do that as well. And I think that helped my work, honestly, because it helped me to not be as kind of frustrated and resentful when things were difficult. It helped me to kind of push through those um, times and build up competency to the point where it's like, okay, I'm comfortable in my job. And now I have even a little more time to to, to devote to those things that are meaningful and, and to you know um, family relationships, friends, that kind of thing. A huge thank you to today's sponsor for helping me get ready for today's interview, Thrive Cosmetics. I am currently wearing their Brilliant Eye Brightener, and I absolutely love it. It is a highlighter stick made to brighten your eyes and give you an instant lift, and girl, you know I need it, but it also dries really nicely so that you don't have to worry about it moving throughout the day. My days of recording tend to be quite long, and it, again, glides on just like a crayon, which I love, and comes in a lot of different colors. So I use it to brighten my eyes, but I also use it to replace any eyeshadow that I might need to apply. They have really fun metallic shades that you can use to make a nice smoky eye. It has more than 10,000 five-star reviews for a reason. And with Thrive Cosmetics, you know you are getting quality cosmetics that are 100% vegan and cruelty-free, made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, And when you purchase Thrive Cosmetics, you are giving back to a cause with Thrive's more than 300 giving partners. You have to try Thrive Cosmetics for yourself and let me know what you think. Right now, you can get an exclusive 15% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash Lawnard. The link is in the description down below or go to Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash Lawnard for 15% off your first order. Now let's get back into today's show. 
it's it's hard because law can and law as a profession can be really all consuming. And it, you think law school is all consuming, and then you start working in law where there's consequences, be it you know money or or your client feeling like they're vindicated. There are like real actual consequences beyond your grades when you start working in law, and there's like an actual weight to that in your work. And so it really does take on its a life of its own. And if you don't find a way to manage that, you can very easily end up, I think, being a really cranky, a real cranky attorney real fast. And and right. we've all worked with those kinds of attorneys. They're so pleasant over email. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, anytime you get an email that's a you know past eleven PM, it's it's you know, the chance you know. that it's one of those, it's pretty high. <laughs> Probably says somewhere or has said, govern yourself accordingly yeah. at some point. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, I see where we're at. Um, I love it when attorneys now put those emails into legal pleadings because I get to share with the audience, like, these are the back and forth. Like, these emails, like, no, you suck. You were supposed to give us this. No, you suck. You were supposed to give us this. A lot of trying to deal with people by email is is challenging in law because it can get so snappy so fast. And you're like, wait, we're all Call, to everybody take a breath, it's going to be fine. And you end up in discovery disputes real quick with like, they didn't do this. But right. having something to ground back to like music, I think is really, really important. And it's so inspiring to hear that you didn't let that go. You were like, look, my job can help facilitate something that I really love and getting into a studio and doing that. And I think that touch point makes for a happier career because it makes for a happier person and when lawyers are less cranky with each other, I think it's better for clients when yeah. everybody can get along. And we saw moments of that in this trial, just to give some commentary on it. Um, when the jury's out of the room and the judge was doing stuff, you saw some uh, really nice collegialness between both sides, kind of in the in the chats back and forth. And Mr. Bueller saying, well, I'm famous. My cousin is Paris. <laughs> and things like that. You saw some really light moments that you don't always get to see when the cameras kind of cut immediately after the jury leaves. And that's important to making things, um, you know, yeah. good for clients and good for everyone involved. But especially when you're in a case for years and years and years, it can get contentious. So it was really nice to see those moments of kind of levity in between the sides. Yeah. Every, yeah. Every case that I, I've gone to trial with, uh, the, if you, if there is that kind of uh, ability, if you could keep things civil and um, you know low emotion and focus on what's what needs to be done, it, it I think it really um, it's not just that it's a pleasant experience as you say. It, it I think is better for the trial and for the clients. Um, you you did mention um, that you know attorneys that are athletic. And I, I'm I am not terribly athletic, um, though I am going to play basketball after this. But I, <laughs> Don't I, want, hurt I, I wanted to point out that it is kind of funny in in um, you know getting some attention that was unexpected, uh, you know, with this music stuff after the the trial. It is funny that even with that like three hundred percent, three hundred thousand percent change or whatever. Short. Yes, right. Whatever it was. I mean, it still pales in comparison to my brother, who is actually quite an athlete and um, has uh, an Instagram account for his. He's a pro uh, professional player development coach for basketball players. Right. So he um, uh, trains young players and NBA players. And he, ha he's, he has like 200,000 followers or, or 20,000 followers. I can't even remember. I uh, shouldn't gel don't want to sell it. Don't want to sell him short. But my point is way more than I've I've ever had. Um, and uh, I think that um, that when I'm just reflecting on like the 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 attention and interest, it is interesting how you start to feel um, uh, this pressure, like you're supposed to do something, right? Like oh, I'm supposed to do something now. Um, and and with the music, I have appreciated that there is a little bit of an outlet. I can push people towards my music and say, hey, listen, and hopefully you like it. Um, but my, my, I'm less uh, experienced with it than like, you know, my brother or other people I know. So I'm impressed when people can deal with it because you do feel this this pressure of sort of now people care in a certain way. I mean, I think my 15 minutes is up, but it, it does, you, you feel like <laughs> there's a kind of pressure. Um, yeah, there is. 
but it's nice to be able to have somewhere to drive it to and to also be able to take it in stride because it can be very strange. And we talked about this a little bit before we hit record that when you're walking into a place where you work all the time and all of a sudden there are, you know, media outside with cameras and microphones in your face and people with cell phone recording. And and, I mean, the normal audience you would have in a trial might be one or two people related to the parties. You're not getting generally a full gallery of people in watching a trial in a normal circumstance. So even the in-person must have felt a little different than it normally does, um, aside from the cameras that are set up into court. So after a verdict, knowing that you've got people in your face, did you pay attention to any of that other than, of course, seeing it going in and out of court while you were in trial? Did the firm have people monitoring social media or did you just heads down, we're in trial, it's fine? No, I mean, the focus was just, honestly, I was worried about how that might affect me. Um, Just knowing that there's eyes on you and seeing cameras, it's a little different than other trials, but it was like uh, other trials in that you prepare really hard and you try to, you know what you got to try and do. And once you're in there, it's kind of like a game, a basketball game, you get in and you're sort of in it and there's no, there's no real time to um, get too distracted. You just focus on what your, your task is. And, you know, um, you, you, yeah, I was surprised that the way that kind of like, you know, went away and, and it felt like a trial, Um, any other trial, you're just trying to do um, what you prepared to do. And preparation and in the end was a really big deal. I think if, and this is true of any trial, if, because forget cameras, it's still a big deal. Your client's there, you're trying to help your client. The judges, they are going to ask you questions. You know, you're going to be contested by the other side often. And so, you know, if, if you're unprepared, then you might start to worry, oh, I'm looking bad or uh, this is this is bad. What happened? And then you get in your head. But if you're if you're really prepared, it's less likely that you're going to have that many of those moments and you'll kind of know how, how to um, course correct if there's if there's a problem. So so much of a lawyer's job is just preparing, 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 doing a ton of that work beforehand. Um, and the more of that that you can do well, then then a, a trial, you, you don't get dis- distracted, hopefully. I think this trial really showed us that no matter how much you prepare, though, things can still go wrong when you ended up cross-examining an expert over like, I don't know, FaceTime? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Ne- are never quite prepared for those things to happen in trial because that's such an unusual circumstance. But um, it seemed everybody rolled with it, even when the tech is a problem, because you had a time limit. I can't, I think it was 20 hours of trial time that each side was given. Am I correct on yeah, that? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. You're given a time limit. This judge seemed to be like, we're getting this trial done and it's going to the jury at this time. It was like dead bang on that within about an hour of getting this case to the jury when he said he would. And so time becomes a real important thing too, which is where that preparation comes in because you really don't have spare time in a trial where it is time. Is that your experience for most of your trials? Because for criminal, this is my worst nightmare that a judge is like, how long will it take you to cross-examine this witness? I'm like, I don't know. As long as it takes, what do you mean? I don't know what they're going to do. I just keep asking questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of our trials are like five to eight days. They have a lot of experts because of medicines often you know, sort of detailed and intensive. And um, we plan them to be kind of longer so that you have that time. Um, but, um, you know, we don't, we, we, there there are always surprises. Time is always a difficult thing. You never, it's never ideal. Um, but uh, yeah, typically we sort of end when we plan to end because we've, we've built in a lot of time, hopefully, you know, uh, there's enough of a cushion and you've worked out beforehand um, how long things are likely to take, you know, but uh, as you said, it's, it's never ideal, never, ever ideal. Do you reserve a certain amount of post-it notes to let Owens know to sit down? (laughs) Do you have like a set number of post-it notes? I love the commentary on it. He's like, I am being told to sit down. (laughs) Post-it note go up. And I thought there were times I'm like, is the jury just smiling while this is happening? I'm sure yeah, that they are. Po- I mean, post-it notes are kind of funny uh, way that we, we do communicate generally. I mean, even earlier today, we were at a hearing and, you know, you can't talk to each other. And so 
sort of post-it notes going back and forth and and who knows you know how many uh uh we just throw in the in the shredder after after a case <laughs> right they're all work hard to get rid of those did you pay attention to any of the other high profile cases that had gone on before knowing that you were going to go to trial and knowing that it was going to be um televised i i didn't on you know i didn't that's probably a great that's probably a great thing <laughs> yeah. we saw a lot of post-it notes in the depth heard trial we're just about a year out from that which was such uh, it's probably better that you didn't pay attention because I think it probably could have increased nerves of like, oh God, that became such such a kind of cultural mm-hmm. wildness. I mean, yeah. I mean, I definitely heard that it was going on, but I, yeah, I didn't follow it um, at all. And yeah, oh, maybe, maybe maybe I was blessed for that. <laughs> I, think, I think so. Um, but it was interesting because the uh, people learned about like cross-examination. And I think from this trial, people have learned a lot about medical experts and and about really reserving uh, judgment of this case till the end. I saw a lot of commentary online where people are like, this is a, you know, a waste of time. Why is this in trial? And I'm like, look, from my perspective, and I can understand your client's perspective, if you are saying, look, somebody did this to me and then sued me, you don't have a choice but to go to trial. And this is exactly what our system is for, um, is to really sort these kinds of things out. And this didn't seem like an unusual trial to me. These kinds of determinations need to be made in car accidents and other kinds of things all the time. I think yeah. people do, didn't understand why there was so much fascination, but whenever you have celebrity, there's going to be. Sure. I mean, all of our cases, we do defense, right? So we're always on the de- defense side with the medical providers. Um, and like, we don't have a choice. We got sued. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that. And then, you know, for medical providers, um, if, if there's, uh, you know, an adverse uh, either a, maybe a settlement or an, an adverse uh, verdict, you know, like that matters um, for them professionally, potentially. Um, and so they often want to, even if it's not economically, it doesn't make economic sense. They want to, they want to fight and vindicate themselves because they feel that what they did was reasonable. Um, and yeah, that takes a lot of effort, obviously. And vindication is, can't be really underestimated. And I have, I do have to ask for some vindication um, about your wife for just a minute. Did how did she feel if she has shared about Vanity Fair kind of dubbing you Clark Kent, uh, <laughs> asking if you were wearing uh, under your your suit every day in court? Was that a weird experience for the two of you? Because I was like, wait, I didn't realize Vanity Fair had reported on this. Yeah. Yes, there was. I mean, that was obviously all very surprising. This is not a thing your friends have given you, then. Oh yeah, my friends have given me a hard time, definitely, and my wife was yeah surprised by it. Um, and we've laughed a lot about it. The funny thing for me is, I was thinking, you know, I'm going into this with braces, which I have for this bite issue that I that I have been putting off dealing with for a long time, and then I <laughs> I finally you know get it. Uh, I should have done it during the pandemic when, you know, the mask would have just covered, right. all, covered it all, but I decided to do it. At, uh, um, when finally, I, uh, and then it just so happens that we go to this, this trial and, and I have it during trial. So I was, that was part of me. was like, ah, oh, funny. I have braces during the, the you know, the time I'm going to be, you know, on TV, whatever. But, um, so that I was not thinking, you know, it would be Clark Kent and uh, the New York Post one was the the strangest one, which uh, was I think they used the term sex symbol, which I never thought would be associated with me. <laughs> uh, the New York Post called you Law Daddy. Yes. I, I like <laughs> why is going to read this? Put these all in the vault. I thought it was going to be brace face, you know. So I I, I think it was that it's gone much better than that though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which is always interesting because you. Right, you don't see yourself the way the internet's ever going to see you. Um, I don't know if you know who Tom Sandoval is from Vanderpump Rules. This is probably not something that you watch. I don't, I don't. So I, I cover a lot of pop culture because it's a great way to learn the law through celebrity wildness. And Tom Sandoval is someone on Vanderpump Rules. There has been a massive scandal going on. And so a lot in my audience and others thought you looked like Tom Sandoval. So somebody put together a meme saying that you were Tom Sandoval from like an alternate timeline or universe. 
if he hadn't met his friend that kind of derailed him, he reshared the meme on his Instagram account. Um, and so what I thought was a very positive way. It's like, if you never met this friend that derailed your life, you too can end up a well-respected attorney uh, doing a very high-profile televised case. And when he shared it, I almost fell over because I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, that, I, I did not see that. That is funny. I should probably go check it out. Yes. But when you when you say you when you say you too could do this, one joke that I have made with my wife a bunch, speaking of her, she is a musician too. Um and she's recorded, she's a singer-songwriter as well and recorded some stuff. And um we when we met, uh we met on a dating app and one of the first things I told her about me was that I was reading this book about the music industry, but I was just doing it because I was kind of interested. Um, mm -hmm. She thought maybe I was doing it because I'm trying to make it in the music industry. And she's dated a bunch of, she lived in LA at the time and she was working. In oh music. yeah. Yeah. I know what that she like. was. Mu she was working in the music industry and she's like, I do not want to, you know, marry. Uh, 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 I don't want to date. I don't want to, you know, be romantically involved at all with any, other musicians right like i've done that I, you know done. and uh so that was kind of like a red flag i eventually she realized no he's he's not like trying to make it in the music business um but we've joked that now i should write a book it's like a how-to book and it's sort of like this is how to make it in the music business you just go to law school you just <laughs> you know you, you put in your time at the firm and then you you somehow get on a televised trial and then people will finally start to listen to you. Exactly. You can't, music can't be the focus. It has to be the side of, of doing it. But I think it can only, I mean, it only happens by the way it's supposed to happen. And, you know, you're in this trial where people very clearly resonated with you, connected with you, enjoyed watching you do your work and, and enjoyed finding your music and getting to know more about you. Um, I'll, all of my audience, and I asked my my members if they had questions for you. I got over 350 questions and comments, and so many of them were, please express to James how much we enjoyed him. It was so great watching his cross-examination style. It was so nice watching how clear he was at questioning, and I learned a lot from this trial. So there was a lot of um, outpouring of just pure fandom that had nothing to do with the fact that you look like, like Clark Kent. The rest of that had to do with comparison to Clark Kent and how strange that must have been um, for you. But I know you, you said you have to go play basketball. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of sit down and talk about what this journey has been like, what the attention has been like, and letting us get to know a little bit more about you. We will put your links um, down below for everybody to go find your music and, of course, link to your firm. And is there anything else that you wanted to to kind of share about all of the strangeness of becoming an internet fascination <laughs> while trying to do your job? No, I mean I appreciate that. Thanks for sharing. That's very that's very nice. Um, I'm I'm glad it went well and um, want to let the verdict speak for itself. Um, but so I won't talk about the case at all. But I I definitely um, appreciate um, the any interest in the music because I have put a lot of my you know heart and soul into that and uh hopefully it's meaningful to some people um but I honestly the main thing I want to know is like we're talking music who do you listen to who do you like so the do your audience members already know this oh they already know this um <laughs> I I might have seen the Dave Matthews band more than 55 times um that's <laughs> point that is when a lot that is a lot. I love live music. I moved when my husband and I moved to Nashville. One of the things we've really enjoyed is getting to go do live music um, and getting to go see lots of live music. My hobby for keeping law sanity is archery. Wow. So I like to go and shoot at stuff, which is really fun. So recurve archery because I can go do it with my oldest kiddo. And it's a very kind of zen it's a lot of fun. Like when, when you have time, like I imagine ax throwing is, is fun in the same way archery is fun. you got to kind of breathe and focus, but I love Dave Matthews band. I've seen the offspring live quite a lot, bad religion. So I listen to a wide variety of music, um, from all different kinds of artists, mainstream and not, I love nineties music. Like I love nineties music. So nice. I love nice. the nineties. So then I have to ask you if you could, perform with anybody <laughs> who would that be because now you know you're not just james egan you're like 
the James Egan. <laughs> so now you've kind of like, you've got the connection. You've, you've done a high profile trial. Who would you perform with if you could? You know, that's a very interesting question. Um, I mean, in terms of like, you know, my earliest love music wise was, was definitely Benfold's Five, Benfold. I've yeah. seen Benfold's and Benfold's Five a bunch of times. Have you but, seen them 50? <laughs> yeah, not 50. No, probably like 12. I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually in the, um, the, we don't even have these anymore, right? But liner notes of the Benfold's live CD. He had this live CD put out when the band had broken up and he did his first kind of big solo tour. And there was a, a picture of me that and my friends that he took before uh, his show here in Salt Lake. And that ended up that's incredible being in the liner notes, which was a, a kind of fun thing. So, th- I mean, that would be a fun one. But, you know, in more recent years, the I, I love Andrew Bird. I don't know if you know him. He's one of my favorite songwriters. I love Blake Mills. Um, there, I mean, I could name a bunch of people. Um, they would. You never should. Want, they would. They, yeah, they would never want to perform with me. I mean, I'm 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 learning my learning the ropes. But I I definitely you know uh, love all kinds of stuff. I listen to a ton of jazz solo piano. I love uh, a guy named Brad Meldow. I don't know if you know him, but um, if I could play like you know a tenth uh the way he plays i would be so stoked he's so well good. you were you were like phoning in your piano lessons like something out of Derek <laughs> bueller's day off I, I love look that is creative thinking and ingenuity where you know you want to be a lawyer because you talked about going into law because you love reading and writing i went into law because i love talking so i definitely <laughs> went into criminal law because you don't do a ton of written motions mm-hmm. it is standing on your feet and arguing things in court every single your career but you also talked about your love for reading for the audio audience you'll have to come check out the video on youtube and see james's library behind him <laughs> yes. because it's great but when you practice law so much of your reading is work it's not as much um not as much reading for fun especially when right. you have a one year don't worry it'll get better <laughs> right no it's true and and it is i had to make peace with the fact that you if you spent so much of your day reading then when you get home you don't have a ton of time enough you know sort of energy for that your energy for that has to be but you learn slowly to you know, make time and figure out how to do that but um, audible yeah. right <laughs> right audio books are how how i yes that can help yeah i just started getting back into being able to sit down and and read read because i read i mean i'm reading other people's cases for my work at this point so it's a whole different thing reading right. people's case dockets when i'm catching up but it's Law is definitely a reading intensive, uh, reading intensive career. So it's fun, but I wouldn't say that the door is closed on your other fascinations because the experience you've had lends itself well to not just songs, but stories and and writing. So enjoy, enjoy it and where it takes you. I don't think the 15 minutes are done. I think people are going to be, what else is coming for James's career? And you'll be surprised as the local law societies want to chat with you about what this experience was like. So Make sure you you share with them. Not a lot of lawyers have been through the experience that you've been through. And and you guys had a very big win in this case. And that I don't think can be understated um, because delivering on that for a client is such a such a kind of fulfilling thing. But then having the whole world watch it and representing our profession um, so well is is really a great thing to get to th- see. So thanks for letting us all come in with you i appreciate it i i hope some of what i said is useful like i'm thinking about me back and when i'm trying to figure things out hopefully you know there's a law student out there that you know some of what i've said is keep your hobbies keep your hobbies and and you've been a pleasure thanks emily i appreciate you uh you know showing interest and making time and talking about my music uh too because i i didn't ever expect that so i appreciate it absolutely well thank you everybody for joining us on this one And we're going to say goodbye. Y'all, I had so much fun with that conversation with James and learned a lot about him. Don't forget to go and download his music on Spotify, Apple Music. You can find it under James Egan, and I will put all the links down below. I hope you learned a bit more about not just what a case like this is like to try, but also a bit about James, his journey through law, And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. This interview was recorded on StreamYard. 
And I appreciate it because it makes it so easy. I don't want the tech to ever get in my way when I want to sit down for an interview. And not everybody particularly, you know how lawyers are with tech. (laughs) It's not always easy. So I'm super thankful to have an easy way to do it. I can't wait to hear what you think. I had a lot of fun. And my biggest takeaway was that I am a huge, my biggest takeaway is about me. Well, a little bit. A, I'm a huge Dave Matthews band nerd, but it was really fun to get to talk to James about the music that he loves, the music that he creates, and get to know a little bit more about the creative cheekiness that is James Egan. So I hope you enjoyed it truly. And let me know if you would like to see more interviews on the channel. And with that, Law Nerds, thank you for being here. Thank you for being Law Nerds. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your families be well. May you enjoy your live music and may the odds be ever in your favor. I will see you in the next one. You can find more Law Nerd goodness in our private Law Nerd community over at lawnerdsunite.com. And if you want to stay up to date with everything I'm covering, you can follow me on social media at The Emily D. Baker. I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I recap those streams for those of you a little pressed for time over on the QuickBits podcast and QuickBits YouTube channel. Thanks for being a Lawnerd.